literally what happens on these. We just tell unrelated stories for an hour and a half. Yeah. We really, I am making a concerted effort to like trip down and shit. Sorry, I just dropped my phone on the floor. Um, to make these shorter, which is not helped by me just spending 25 seconds talking about it. But anyway, I'm Paige. I'm Michelle. And we are here today to talk about the book, the very popular book. Well, Okay, it's about okay, sorry, 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 sorry. Very popular in some crowds. Okay, that's what I meant. Yeah, I just when I said very popular, I meant it's like very beloved in like certain sectors of wide readers. Yeah. I guess it's a very high it's like Scorpion 82 stars and Goodreads. How many reviews do we have though? I don't know. I, I feel like that I mean this is sort of like a like a niche book. But it's very popular for its niche. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. It's like a cult book. <laughs> cult book. That name. That name. Not that. But um, anyway, um, black the book Park. by Edith the author. I never. By I always do. Who to credit the author? Did you learn nothing in college? Um, <laughs> Julian Donaldson. Mm-hmm. I also like this author because we can pronounce both opinions. Right. Yeah. If you didn't hear the book title because I was talking over it, the book is called Blackmore. <laughs> did you say that? Yeah. You did, but I was saying something while you. I was still like finishing mm-hmm. a sentence while you said it, and I probably came out as. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I'm sure it didn't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so this is this author's second book, A Proper Romance. <laughs> right. She has a book before called Even Broke, which is also very well liked. Also, as a cult following. Probably the same cult. <laughs> I think so. I think they have a crossover. They have a very strong crossover. Like, they're um, pretty much the same. <laughs> Edinburgh is also, I don't know about it really, but it's also another Regency. Oh, we didn't have to say this first. Okay. <laughs> Alright. So this also, this is a Regency, oh, this is a YA, like Regency romance. Her first book is also this, and this is the second one. Um, and so that's why we're talking about first is like sort of why we read this book and <laughs> why we read this book. I mean, why did you pick this? And then we had a like bargaining negotiation exchange in which I was forcibly made to read it. Oh, okay. We didn't, not, not like forcibly made to read it. We negotiated. Yeah. Right. So I picked this book. Michelle was like, I'm not reading that. And I was like, mm. <laughs> so then we bargained. So this is the book. That I got in exchange for, I have to read one of Michelle's books that I wasn't gonna read. What is it? Salt to the Sea or something? I think it's called Salt to the Sea. We haven't read it yet. But mm-hmm. when we get to that one, that's the book that I was forced to read. This is what we exchanged for. Yes. Um, and I didn't want to read this book because I was like, oh my gosh, this sounds like an excellent book. I don't want to read it. Um, like I've seen, like her book, I don't know about this one, but definitely the first one, the Edinburgh one, has like come up in like my, my book travels. Like I've seen it in my book travels. I've seen it in like the related book list of the library. You know how, so I don't know about your library, but in our library, when you search for books, you get on the bottom of like related titles. Um, the most horrifying thing is when in related titles, what comes up is like your search history in the library. Um, when it's completely not related titles, it's literally just like the last 12 books that you look at and they're like completely, and I'm just like, oh my god. Yeah, I've tried to think about like how much information all these websites have stored on me. Like, when you look at your Facebook ads and you're like, this isn't picked for me. Mm-hmm. The most disturbing is, like, in your emails when you, like, talk about something that's, like, not your normal, like, search thing. Yeah. It's just something you've been, like, talking about in an email. Yeah. And then your Google ads will suddenly be, like, related to that. And you're like, mm-hmm. yeah. I do not, like, search for this. 
That whole segue, what were they trying to talk about? Because yeah. I got lost. Oh, right. We were right. talking about how we were going to get less distracted. <laughs> okay, I was talking about the fact we we're still trying to get to the point of why we read this. Okay, so the other, the author's other book, Edinburgh, has, like, come up and, like, really did high on, like, Amazon and the library. Like, I've seen it around. Mm-hmm. And I've, like, clicked on it enough that I've read the, like, synopsis or the back of the book, essentially, um, on Amazon several times. I still, like, couldn't tell you what it's about. Like, I, like I've read it several times, and every time I read it, I was like, yeah, I don't want to read this. Anyway, so then I decided to take this book for the podcast, not because I thought it was going to be a great book, despite how many people love it on Goodreads, um, which Goodreads a lot of times is just, like, preaching to the choir, you know? Um, sometimes people Except self-select. There's, there's, there's this one review of this oh, book yeah, that made me die laughing. Yeah. It was so funny, and it was long. Those are the best when people, like, hate it, and they just, like, rant about it for, like, a long time. It was, like, very long, mm-hmm. and included pictures. Yeah, so, so not universally beloved. <laughs> yeah, there's, like, one negative review. I swear, it really does have, like, four. I think it's, like, point eight two. It's very high four. It's a very high, I think, yeah, I think you're right. And, yeah, there's, like, but there's one one star. So the reason I wanted to read it was because I thought I had, I thought we'd have a lot to talk about in the sense of not really that we like the book, in terms of like sort of like what's going on with this book and these kinds of books and what is to draw for people. Um, and <laughs> the idea here is we're going to get more into like lit analysis and not just like rambling. Yeah. Ha, 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 ha. Let's see how that goes. But yeah, so it's a reading CV. We make no promises. It's also the subtitle of this book is... And this is also the subtitle of her first book, so it's kind of like a not serious series. But it's a proper romance, which could be, depending on how you want to pass that, like a proper romance in the sense that like this really is a romance and not like, I don't know, a book with like romance and like other songs. Or the way it seems to have taken, like a proper romance and like clean, like proper, cleaned up, like. Right. I yeah. Can't like, what <laughs> I mean, like, um, no, like, well mannered. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you already have a sense of what this book is about. Like, it was a 4.2, I just looked at 4.2, sorry. I exaggerated <laughs> a little bit. But it has a good, I mean, that's a good rating on Goodreads. Okay. 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 Is it closer to the 3.5? Yeah. yeah. So, it is, I promise, a lot of people like it. Mm-hmm. Um, with a lot of great reviews. <laughs> so, we wanted to talk about, like, that sort of phenomenon. Yeah. Because I thought that this is not something I read, like, at all. Um, I think Paige probably reads this, not this genre, but more time period this. Mm, that was not good. <laughs> um, I do read probably more. I'm trying, now I'm trying to think of one that I read. I'm like, the, the, only, the only thing I can think of is I read Pride and Prejudice when I was in high school, and that was because Paige asked me to read it. <laughs> Again, we, we negotiate. <laughs> it was another bargain. We don't do anything for each other for free. <laughs> We always think it's something out of it. Yeah. Because <laughs> we're a really good friend. <laughs> it's a friendship of excellence right here, as Aristotle would say. Um, so I, like, I like really can't think of anything beyond Pride and Prejudice that I've read that would be considered kind of like a romance of that period. But I know that it is a genre that, like... Well, so then there's, like, there's happens. Like, yeah, so I okay, definitely read a lot more, like, 19th century literature than Michelle right. does. So... Like, I've read almost all the Austin, awesome, almost all of her novels. Um, you did read Rosalind Heights. Oh, I did. I read Rosalind Heights. That, was that wasn't a bargain. That was just weird. Like, that was true. It was on TBS Masterpiece Theater. And I was like, we have to read it before I watch it. Yeah, there was no, there should have been a bargain. We really should have gotten something out of that. We both lost. 
we did. We were just like, they should move with their tights. And yeah. then we like despised it. Yeah. So we've read a lot of I've read a lot of nineteenth century literature and I also have probably read more historical fiction of this period yeah. in terms of like like genre fiction. Now I can't think of any. But I'm sure it's happened. But it's typically not very good. <laughs> not gonna lie. Yeah. Um yeah, so but they are very popular. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to sort of think about like the reasons for that, especially because this is also and this is not something that I had to do a lot of digging to find, so we're not trying to like be like discriminatory <laughs> against the author. Like this is something that is like more or less explicit in places if you're looking at Goodreads or Amazon or whatever. Um this is also like a faith-based book, like Christian fiction, inspirational fiction, whatever you want to call it, which there's like Regency retellings are popular on their own, and then they're also popular, especially in like the Christian fiction yeah. subgenre as well. And this, the author is LDS, so it fits. Mm-hmm. It's also there's also like LDS fiction is like the subgenre of the Christian fiction subgenre. Sometimes, right. and there's a tendency within most religions actually to have this kind of idea of like harkening back to a better time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a religious phenomenon that we see over and over again, and it's one that we see in, especially Christian fiction. If you see historical books, things are much nicer. Mm-hmm. And if you have, they do do sometimes those future books, and they're always like things have gone like really the last series, right? yeah. yeah. Um, so there's this kind of like downward trend mm-hmm. um, away from the origin stories of different religions and into what will end in the apocalypse mm-hmm. stories. So this is a trend we see over and over again. It's something that is kind of brought into these Regency novels as they kind of harken back to a better time for romance mm-hmm. and, like, proper romance. Romance how it was meant to be right. versus how it is now. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. I think we both agree that that's definitely one of the reasons that these are so popular in the Christian fiction genre. Um, yeah, especially if you think about because not just Regency, like there's a lot of historical um, Christian novels, um, and even non-historical ones. Think of the popularity of like Amish romances, not in YA, but in like yeah. If you the go world, to the, yeah. if you go to Barnes and Noble, there's like a huge section. Like yeah. so, even if you like, it's unbelievable. It's huge. Um, it's like much larger than you would ever think because mm-hmm. the people writing them aren't Amish. Right. Amish, Amish people are Christian. Amish people don't write books for themselves. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I'm not even sure you'd be allowed to. I don't know. She's not Amish. Sorry, I, I know all. I know very little about the Amish. I think that's there's a reason for that. The Amish sort of they're doing their own thing. They're not themselves. interested in it. And right, they don't want to be a part of the noble for the most part. Right, there's a reason <laughs> that they live the way they live. <laughs> um, yeah, so even when they're not historical, like the popularity, this popularity of historical ones and the popularity also of just like Amish fiction, it's just like simpler time. It's and it's so interesting that these authors are not Amish. They don't really have Amish beliefs. No, it's are so like, intrigued by right, it. These authors are not trying to like then also forsake parts of technology. I mean, right. I'm not. I'm not. I don't actually know that. Maybe they are. I'm not. I've never actually read any Amish fiction. Neither have I. But again, we've we'll just about it. seen it in the bookstore, mm-hmm. and it's like striking. Yeah, that it's there. Yeah. In such a large quantity. It's this, like, very heavy nostalgia in certain, like, yeah. faith-based communities mm-hmm. for a simpler time, for, like, simpler ways of life. Right. Um, because it seems, I think in their minds that that's explicitly, there's a very strong connection between, like, a simpler time or a simpler way of life to a more Christian or a more religious yeah. way mm-hmm. of life as well. Yeah. Which I think historically is 
maybe not totally worn out. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I guess, like, if you went all the way back to medieval times, it is true that, like, like the pre-modern era is absolutely, like, has, like, a different way of viewing the world. The world right. that's totally focused on God and the church is a major force. But then also, well, that's true. It also doesn't stop individuals and people from being right. more or less Christian. We also have, like, a much less, when we go back to medieval times, um, we have a much, we have much less ability to kind of, uh, find out what happens to the ordinary person. We're really yeah. getting mm-hmm. it from the higher ups, which at that point was the church. Um, so it's hard to negotiate what level religion was really integrated into the everyday person's life and how much it was just integrated into these retellings by the authority figures. Because individuals themselves had much less ability to kind of tell their own stories. I think that's true. It's definitely harder the farther back you go generally to reconstruct. I mean, it's also hard. Yeah, it's very hard to get ordinary people's history when what is left in historical records and what's preserved is often things of elite, the elite, or, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, though I think, so it's, it's definitely harder and there's less, like, you're not getting, like, diaries and memoirs, right. like, illiterate peasants in the 1300s. Um, but I would say there's enough in this report to say that the pre-modern era is definitely... Um, the worldview is very shaped by the church yeah, and by absolutely. the idea of God. But to what extent do people, I mean, there's, right, there's lots of like, like horrible, like, we know lots of stories of like horrible people. Right. And the well, church and outside the church and that right. as well, like, they're horrible things. Right. right. When, the, when we have religion in charge, we also have things like the Crusades happen. And <laughs> yeah. Like, and like, <laughs> also there's negative things, so it's different. Um, I would be very hesitant to say that it was any way better. Yeah. I think it, I don't think it was necessarily worse. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would want to live there because I'm like very attached to indoor plumbing, but um, I don't think religion-wise, I don't know, it's definitely not worse, but I don't think we consider it better either. I think we could consider it different and those people used religion in a different way because mm-hmm. it was required in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway. Yes, I think that's... Like, that's a historical aspect, and it's especially prevalent in these faith-based communities. But it's also true to, like, I mean, anytime you listen to, like, your older relatives talk, and they're always saying, you know, like, back in the day, you know, when everything was so much better. Even if they don't use the phrase back in the day, that's what they mean. <laughs> you know, like, today everything's just, like, a shit show. Which, I mean, Trump is, like, the Republican nominee. So, like, well, it's presumptive. <laughs> it's presumptive Republican nominee. He can still, like, off the building. I don't know what the GOP's plan is, honestly. I think, yeah. Well, you have those people that are like, um, I'll support him, but I won't endorse him. Mm-hmm. That's like the popular phrase. And then Paul Ryan's like, I'm just not ready. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know what they're planning to do because they've been scrambling the whole time to be like, if they're closer, it looks like, again, we can't. At this point, you might already have a question. We <laughs> <laughs> probably won't, but. Um, They've been scrambling the whole time to be like, if Trump becomes nominee, like, what, like, how are we gonna block this? Cause it looks real bad for the DOP. Right. This kind of looks like it's gonna rip the party apart. Yeah. But they also, they, I, I don't think, unless they have some real secret strategy. Yeah. Like, they can pull something out of the convention, I don't know. Yeah. Well, and if they pull it out of the convention, I feel like that is good. Like, I don't think there's a scenario that I can see where the party stays together. Cause mm-hmm. if they pull something out of the convention, then voters who did support Trump are gonna be like, yeah, Trump what the hell? Why did we, why did we yeah. vote in primaries if you're not gonna respect our vote? Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, you have 
kind of the more moderate end of the Republican Party was like, this man is crazy. Right? <laughs> um, so I think, yeah. But I mean, the Republican Party was showing cracks. The Tea Party stuff, like, yeah, yeah. the Republican Party has been having some struggles for the past couple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a reason we were never supposed to be a Tea Party system. Also, democracy has, like, a dark side to it. Mm-hmm. Hence the reason that Plato thinks we should be an aristocracy, the highest form of government. It's the philosopher kings in charge. That's me. I was a philosophy major. So. So PhD in charge. You can write in on your presidential ballot. Not really, because I'm 23 and I'm But. Um, okay, I'm sorry. You'll be almost 24 when the election. Oh, <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Uh, so close. Anyway, just a quick note about the election. Yep. But we, um, I mean, Donald Trump uses this back to the book. Mm-hmm. He uses a similar kind of rhetoric. I mean, yeah. like make America, make America great again. Yeah. So again, this nostalgia, this harkening back to a better time. Yeah, it um, literally doesn't matter what point your present is. Before was always better. Right. And always. a lot of people will bring up, they're like, hey, remember when, like, <laughs> remember when women couldn't vote? Remember when women couldn't vote? Remember when we had, like, slaves? Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, there have been missteps along the way <laughs> in America's journey. <laughs> there some things you could classify as mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, like, to assume that the tra- trajectory of the country is downhill. Mm-hmm. Um, follows a similar narrative, but it's also really inauthentic to the actual history of the country, which although might not always be upward, uh-huh. I think if you looked at it from a, like a further back perspective, would be more upward than downward. <laughs> yeah. We've made some progress. <laughs> so work in progress. So anyway. Yeah. That's why these type of books are sometimes a little frustrating because there is this like sense that uh-huh. this is better. Right. And I'm like, it really sucked to be a woman. It's yeah, that's the thing. Like, I under like I do, and like throughout like my like now I'm thinking like my reading childhood, like mm-hmm. the books I read in elementary school, middle school, like I definitely like historical fiction, right. and I really like history as well. And those things are probably related. So I read all the American Girl books. <laughs> not a great like. Um, sometimes you're like, oh, I'm really glad I'm not like Colin Blue. I don't know what happened to all the American Girl books. Is that Kirsten? I don't know, guys. Um, <laughs> But, like, yeah, like, Addie Walker, I know all the American girl characters, you guys, escapes on the Underground Railroad. Like, on one hand, that's a cool story. On the other hand, I thought it would really suck. Like, I mean, it's good that you, like, I guess, like, taking the Underground Railroad would be, it's definitely an upside. Being a slave, true story. better. But, like, yeah, like, the experience of slavery itself is, like, not, like, a positive. So, yeah, like, on one hand, it's, like, there's, like, great things about, like, historical time periods. Like, I like some of their clothes. I like some of the things that happen. But then one time, like, whenever you get too nostalgic, I like to think about, like, the polio vaccine. Right. <laughs> Vaccines in general are, like, really great. Antibiotics yeah. are awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's yeah. A of, there's a lot of technological advancements that are, like, really great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, so... I mean, I think historical fiction is great. I also went through a period when I was younger where I, like, loved historical fiction, and I think there's a role for it, and I think kind of um, being able to be empathetic with another historical period is important for, like, young children to learn, and there's a lot of studies that have proven kids that read more are able to be more empathetic with people that are in different situations because they Mm -hmm. are able to experience different situations. Um, Are we going to have to be empathetic with people in a historical time period? Um, Maybe. (laughs) But it allows you to be empathetic with people that whose lives aren't the same as you. And also to understand history, which is yeah important in its own right. Depending on how accurate it is. What, yeah, so I think, I think we said what we wanted to say about that. 
One of the things I also wanted to say just before we quickly move off this topic. Uh, <laughs> well, just, we just I know, we've just been rocketing through our topics so far. Is that a lot of times with historical fiction, it tends to be anachronistic in the sense that like, people have attitudes and dispositions that, that feel inaccurate. So a lot of times, like, because when you're especially, so much historical fiction, I think it's geared towards women. Actually, I don't think that. I'm pretty sure that's a fact. <laughs> or it has female characters. I love these. Mm-hmm. A lot. You know, there's, I don't think Especially adult. I think as, yeah. And for kids, it's more. That's more genderless. Yeah. But uh, I think for adults, yeah. Adults, yeah. Who is reading, like, reading scene romances? Probably women. Probably. Yeah, there's not. Yeah. We can debate if that's right or not, or whatever. There's a lot of points to say about that. But it's generally geared more towards women. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times, female characters are sort of more like, I don't know, liberated or enlightened than maybe you would expect, which is not to say that there weren't. Mm-hmm. Wait, I mean, like Mary Wollstonecraft, you know, wrote Vindication Rights of Women in the 1700s. Pretty sure. I'm <laughs> sick to that. I have a hundred year period in which to be accurate. Um. And so, like, definitely a lot of, like, it is true that people in the past had, like, more in common with us than we often expect. At the same time, though, sometimes historical fiction takes it too far. And mm-hmm. you're like, this isn't accurate for the time period. Right. Um, the True Confessions of Charlotte Doyle, the children's book, is A, really good. And B, I think it does a good job because at the beginning, she is very much of that time period. And, like, has it, like, conforms to... Um, like typical femininity and you see her develop over the course of the novel and she becomes she ends up with different views mm-hmm. and like abilities that she didn't have at the beginning of the novel but it's a natural progression that like makes sense right a lot of the novels skip that yeah they just start in a a view that is more modern a more modern understanding of what it means to kind of be a woman but is placed back in these rules and so that finds these rules highly restrictive mm-hmm. just like if we were placed yeah. Back in this time period, we would not be happy because right. that would be horrible. Would I not be happy if I grew up then? I don't know. But I feel like you'd have less, like, not everyone would be so, or at least, I don't know. I think, yeah, I think some people would find that normal and be able to conform, and some people wouldn't. Though it's, I don't it's really strange. I would, was reading, I think this comes from the Mad in the Attic, that lit analysis, the lit print book I was talking about a couple ago, but, um, but I think I read in it, they were talking about, like, there was a study that was done, I don't know how they did this, that found that, or, I don't, I don't know the methodology, I don't remember a whole lot of it, but basically that women living in, like, I don't know, early 1800s or whatever, I don't remember the time period, I don't remember anything about this, the women living in ex-historical times, was that the, like, experience of sort of, like, what we would term, like, oppression that women were under, like, literally, like, like, drove women, like, crazy. Like, part of the reason you read about, like, why women were so characterized as, like, hysterical or whatever, which is an extremely gendered word, like, hysterical is great mm-hmm. for, like, wound suffering, I guess, what happens when you're an ape woman, where they wound, like, a uterus, that, <laughs> that makes you crazy. And so the reason that women were, like, considered hysterical and everything is that, the, like, the mental and, like, also the physical strength they were under as women is, like, mm-hmm. in that time period kind of just, like, made them crazy, which makes sense. Right. Like... <laughs> And I think we do, even if you don't notice it, you would just like lose it. <laughs> I think we do see a little bit of that in the book. I think both the mothers who are horrible yeah. mothers, I think we see how um, the oppression they're under has like warped their sense of power and how they hold power over their children, which is kind of the only power they're given, is so oppressive in, in turn and almost abusive. Yeah. Um, 
And I think that's a an interesting thing to look at is how that oppressive um, behavior would have affected women and how they used and were able to manipulate power mm-hmm. and what power they did have. Yeah. Yeah, so when I'm reading historical fiction, I'm always looking for, like, what seems anachronistic. Um, especially because we also, we mentioned that this is, a, like, a faith-based novel. This is published by, I can't remember, it's a small publisher, but it's out of Utah. I don't want to steer people all of Utah, but it's a publisher out of Utah, and it's written by a woman who is Mormon. So I would not be surprised. Shadow Mountain. Shadow Mountain, yeah. I would not be surprised to find out this is sort of a Mormon press. I don't know that I actually know nothing about it. I've never even heard of it before. Um, but I think this is a popular book for Mormon community. I'm not Mormon though. Again, taking guesses here. They seem reasonable. Um, so if you're concerned, there is very, actually, there's very little explicit religion. Yeah, there's, I, there's like maybe like a couple weird scenes where you could think it might be like praying-ish. Yeah, but I mean. But it's not, you, it's. It is not bashing. If you're worried about it, it's not. It's, this is like a make or break thing for you if there's like a lot of Christianity thing. I, it's not you're not going to notice though. that, I don't really think. It's very, yeah. anything in it is very subtle. It's pretty quick. So, yeah. And that's, so, I just wanted, this is a little bit I did. I just want to call out Melanie Dickerson, who was a YA author. Because this is one of the things that, because especially when I was like, oh, this is a faith Facebook and it's historical, like, I want to see how it handles faith and historical context, especially, especially like, you consider Mormonism, like, that doesn't even exist at this time. Um, and so, because it can be done really badly, and so Melanie Dickerson writes these, like, fairy tale retellings. Um, and I read, she's written, like, ten books now or something. I read the first two that she published. Um, I didn't like them. I think I knew going into it I wouldn't really like it. I don't know why I do this to myself. Um, they're published by Zondervan, a Christian publisher. Um, so it's, like, very clear. And those are, like, super overt. Like, if you don't want any religious, like, contact content in your books, it's probably not the one for you. Um, but I was, like, whatever, it's fine. I'll just power through <laughs> And, like, the first, the, they take place pre-Protestant Reformation for, like, a couple hundred years. So, like, pre-Protestant Reformation. But the author is very evangelical Christian. And so, like, Catholicism is the faith like, in the Christian faith, barring, like, some, like, schematic, like, right. barring, like, small offshoots or, like, whatever. Catholicism is what is the Christian faith at this time. Right. We have uh, Eastern Orthodox that are broken up. <laughs> right. So this took place in, like... The Ukraine. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and so... But there's, like, a lot of, like, like weird, like, anti-Catholicism in her books. I'm, like... Characters are not criticizing, like, clerical celibacy in the 1300s, especially the 17-year-old girl. Like, are you kidding me? That's ridiculous. That's right. insane. And it has very, like, Protestant, very evangelical viewpoints expressed in this novel that should only, Catholic development is, like, the only faith around at this time. It's the only ballgame in town. And I'm Catholic, so, spoiler alert. Like, <laughs> I can pick up on Aaron Catholicism pretty easily. But I'm like, this cannot just be me. This is so over. And so then I'm on Amazon and I look at the reviews. And there are people who are like, yeah, like, I'm not religious. But even I thought this was ridiculous. Like, it's too much. So... I just wanted to call her out, one, and two, also say. Um, so had that on her chest for a while, and she was really good at this. She really wanted to connect it. I just, yeah, I never had a forum which I could publicly <laughs> express my disdain for that treatment of religion in the historical novel. Um, it was both ridiculous from a historical 
viewpoint, and also it's like a religious viewpoint, it's like also, mm. um, but this book did not do that, so kudos to Julian Because it, it like didn't, it didn't deal with it religion. Like, <laughs> just fine. Which, yeah, that's, it's better to do that than to do it poorly. Yeah. Okay, alright, alright. Let's get started on the plot. <laughs> we then have real quick about the comparisons it makes. Oh, how this book is advertised on, like, yeah. Goodreads. This is, like, a popular thing. Publishers yeah. are more and more. I see it more and more. Yeah. They're comparing it to, like, well-known books. They're like, oh, if you like X and Y, you'll love Z. Or they're like, it's, like, X and Y, like, X meets Y. Mm-hmm. Like, the one of the books we're reading soon is, like, X-Men meets Pride and Prejudice. And I was like... So I don't know how that's going to shake out. We haven't started <laughs> one yet, but it's on our list. Uh-huh. But, this, yeah, it's a popular trend. And it's quite strange. And, I mean, obviously, it's just a marketing trend to be like, if you like this, you're going to like this. Yeah. Um, and, like, if those things were true, it would be, be a powerful promotional tool. Um, this one is, if you liked Wuthering Heights and Little Women. Yeah. Which, we love Little Women. And we hate Wuthering Heights. We do hate Wuthering Heights. Don't worry though, this book is unlike either. I'm just, the, there are more similarities to Wuthering Heights than Little Women. Little Women, I literally saw zero similarities. There's no similarities. Unless, if your only criteria for a book being like Little Women is that there are sisters, then fine. There are sisters in the book. We don't even see them interact, really. Barely, yeah. But it's just, it's completely ridiculous. And she hates her sister. Yeah, and like she does, she doesn't really have any female friends either. So it's not like oh, she has a friend that's like a sister. Mm-hmm. She just like yeah. No, the key connection to Little Women is like sisters having a, a very close relationship, and like a novel being about sisterhood. Yep. And um, that's, that's not a, so it has literally nothing else to do with Little I don't appreciate that. Wuthering Heights. It takes place in the Lawrence, just like Wuthering Heights, and there's also um, the main character sort of wants it to be a gothic romance. Um, um, is it? No. She just, like, wants to find ghosts in the house and wants the house to be creepy, but it's just, like, a normal house. So it's, like, yeah. not actually a gothic romance. Yes, there's really, like, the, <laughs> like, the relevant part of Wuthering Heights is not, I mean, it is important for Wuthering Heights that it's set on the moor, but what makes it important for Wuthering Heights is not in this novel, which is this idea of, like, the moor being this place that's untamed, that's outside of societal convention, and this, like, right. Really twisted romance between Catherine and Heathcliff that's like outside the bounds of propriety and is like really passionate. Yeah, that's not any of those. Literally nothing to do with this book. Um, this is like the opposite of This is a very like proper, a pale book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, this is kind of like a book is a proper romance. Going around comparing it to Wuthering Heights <laughs> makes zero sense because Wuthering Heights is about like being outside the bounds of propriety. I guess, and Kate, Kate wants her life to be Wuthering Heights. She wants her life to be a romance outside of the bounds of, uh, of society, but it's not. And she yeah. keeps finding friends again and again that she has no way to, like, escape the grasp of society's rules. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, she fails. <laughs> <laughs> so, then the thing is, well, okay, to be clear, we're not criticizing Julianne for this, because sure, this right. is she not, didn't she put on her book, I'm sure this is just, right. just somebody like marketing. Covers, we're not going to blame authors for the covers. Even though I like this cover, this cover is fine, it's great. It has a picture of their house, which is huge. And a girl with a pearl necklace on. Mm-hmm. You yeah. can't see her face. Which is fine. Cool. Yeah. So, that's that. I was reading, there was another book. So, I read it because, again, based on, like, it's called Wild Alone. It's not good. Don't read it. It's an adult novel. I don't like it. <laughs> um, it's got my hate it. So, <laughs> anyway. But it, and it compared itself to four different texts. We have a lot. And cool. it's, and it compared itself to Jane Eyre. A Discovery of Witches by Deborah Hartness, The Secret History by Donna Tartt, and Twilight, which is a like a big. Those are just like, like literally just popular books. 
just thrown by like that's a huge like there's a lot of stuff going on in all of those that's pretty different like the secret history by donna tart who won a pulitzer and twilight like what what do you see as a common ground between those <laughs> so it's like well i love two of those things i love the scary witches and the secret history is obviously very very good hated jane Eyre and hated twilight um, so like this, <laughs> this is just like the bizarrest book. I read it, I didn't like it, and it was like basically none of those things. Just because your book takes place on a college campus does not make it the secret history. I'm just, who is doing this in book marketing? Make them stop. It's stupid, and it <laughs> and it's assumes like, that every reader is an idiot. Right, and it's so unhelpful because then when comparisons like that are drawn, it's like you can't listen to them. Like mm-hmm. if it was actually similar, also. Someone out there is trying to do it for real. Someone's like, for real, this is a good book if you're a fan of the secret history. Right. And everyone's like, whatever. <laughs> right. That can't be true. Right. Also, it's strange. I feel like as an author, you would want that because there's like, I feel like there's always like a fear of being unoriginal when you're writing a book. Mm-hmm. And like, because obviously many stories have the same basic plotline because that's the plotline we like as people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're going to have similarity. So to continually draw, like, similarities between you and other very popular books. One is setting yourself up for failure. You don't want to compare yourself <laughs> to the moon. Right. <laughs> um, and also is then making your work sound like you're just like yeah, you just like smashed together some other stuff and uh-huh. it's not like an original piece. Right. So everybody wants to be a special snowflake. <sighs> yeah. Exactly. Of course. <laughs> Alright, we're ready. Okay, we're ready for the plot guys. Okay, so we're gonna do this quickly. The plot isn't that complicated. So. It's a Libby Regency Eat Which, thank goodness, those complicated plots we don't do well. <laughs> yeah, we've got to stop, because we suck. Um, so, the story revolves around Kate, who used to be called Kitty, and is called Kitty by some of the characters still in the book because it's been a fairly recent chip. So yeah, she really, she decides she. There's a so called pivotal moment, which is really. It's talked up a lot, but it's not that. I don't know, it wasn't that big of a deal, really. Right. And she's like, I won't be called Kitty anymore, I'll be called Kate. Her name is not really relevant to this so-called pivotal moment. It is. It's, it is? Yep. It is? Kitty is relevant. I don't know, man. Um, oh, it is. It is relevant. But because really I read it stupidly. Uh, yeah, it's kind of a strange connection. But anyway, so her name's Catherine. So yeah. it's about Kate and how she, um, she has decided she doesn't want to get married. And she also has decided... That because she doesn't want to get married, she's going to go to India with her aunt. But before she goes to India, she's finally got invited to her best friend's family's country house. And she's been wanting to be invited to their house since she was, like, little. <laughs> right. She's always wanted to go. And then the boy is so never able to go. Right. And to the point where the so the family that she's going with, they have a daughter who was her best friend. And then a son. And the son built her, like, a dollhouse replica of the house of the Yeah, world. an insanely intricate one. That took, apparently, oh, freaking awesome. summer. Which I believe, because I think we've got to take long. She mentions... Sorry, guys. Um, she mentions, like, when he... Because usually he comes back tanned from the summer to be that side. She mentions the summer he builds her the dollhouse and comes back. And he's like, his complexion has not changed at all. So basically, so what we're supposed to gather from that is that he never saw the sun. He spent all the time building a doll. It's horrible. I would feel really bad if someone like right. instead of spending the like time on vacation, just like spent, like whatever. Um, so anyway, so that's what she wants to do. 
Um, her mother is a crazy person, as you may have mentioned briefly before. Um, all the mothers in this book are horrible people. That could be the actual name of this book is All Mothers Are Horrible People. So if you meet a mother, she's probably bad in this book. Right. Catherine probably really takes a cake, though. <laughs> um, so Catherine's mother is like, you can't go to India. Or to, does she say you can't go to Black right there? I don't know. They have to... She talks herself. She talks her mother into it because whatever. I don't know. Because there's gonna be lots of men there. Her mom wants her to get married. Her mom wants her to get married, which seems relevant to Penny. If you remember it from Penny, if you remember from Penny, her just assuming girlfriend. Mrs. Um, Bennett's like ambition in life is to get her five dollars married off, which is not just like a vapid aim. Like it's really important that time period. It's financially five daughters, and your your home is entailed to your random male cousin. Like you gotta get them married off because otherwise they're gonna be out the street. Right. Um, We don't have uh, that strong of a connection here. We're just kind of told that, and we find out throughout the novel that her mother is kind of manipulative and uses men. And uses men for whatever she wants. Anyway, so she's kind of, <laughs> she's trying to get her daughters to marry, and so she says that if Kate can get three men to propose to her, and she says no to all of them, obviously, over the summer, then she can go to India with her aunt when the summer is over. I'm not even sure it's the whole summer. It's like her visit to Blackmore, which maybe is the whole summer. I think it seemed like it was going to be, like, she had, like, three weeks. <laughs> I think it was supposed to be the whole summer, but then Kate decides when she gets to Blackmore that she's like, let's expedite this process. There's no reason I can't just, like... Get this done and get out. Yeah. Um, cause once she gets to Blackmore, she, we're just gonna skip right to that, is that okay? Um, yeah. Okay, so once she gets to Blackmore, um, turns out the, um, mom, oh my God. <laughs> the mom of these two kids that invited her, mostly the son invited her, the daughter has already been in, I think, London. Yeah, okay, this, this part was confusing to me. So Sylvia is the friend. Okay, so it's Kate. And Kate then and Sylvia and Henry are mm-hmm. the brother and sister. Yes. Kate and Sylvia are best friends, but they've grown this Um, because they're just different people now. Right, and Kate yeah. is in search for her husband, and, or not Kate, Sylvia. Sylvia is in search for her husband. Kate has bowed off love. Right. So. Henry is the brother. If this wasn't clear before, just in terms of like the general line of the plot, yeah, if you didn't obviously pick, there's a thing between Kate. Right, if you didn't pick that from the fact that he's done a whole summer building her own yeah. house. <laughs> um, so Sylvia has been off in London. Searching she, for a husband. Yeah, so Sylvia's having a season. So she is like, she's come out to society as a young woman and is going to all the balls and all the stuff and supposed to get married, right? Um, what doesn't make sense to me is the fact that, um, Kate's mother is so freaking into getting all her daughters married out. I'm confused why Kate doesn't have a season. Because that, that, that would be the way to get your daughter married off. To take her to London, have her come out to society like a Debbie Tomball is essentially what it means to have a season. And then have her be going to all I, these balls. I wonder if Kate was like, ball. no. I don't know. I feel like she doesn't have enough power to tell her mother no. Yeah, like Kate had, Kate and her mother have a weird power dynamic, which is explored further. But anyway, so, um, so Henry's the one that has actually invited her, because Sylvia is not there. Um, so she's traveling with Henry, they get to the house, and, um, her sister is supposed to come, but then her sister falls ill the morning of and so can't travel. Um, and so it's just, it just winds up being Kate. So Kate gets to the house, and Henry's mother is like, what the heck? We did not invite you. She, yeah. she like, tries to be not rude, sort of, but she's also, yeah, like, aggressively, <laughs> like, really bitchy. Yeah. Um, and so then they wind up, they're like, okay, well, we remodel the West Wing or whatever. Which wing? Um, yeah. And so they put her in the East Wing by herself. She's the only one in this wing of this huge banner. Because I guess all the other bedrooms are full. Well, that's what she said, but I think they kind of light a little bit. And mom's yeah. like, I don't want her with the other guests. So, yeah, okay, so this is bizarre to me. 
that okay, first Kate doesn't under doesn't realize that it's just Henry that's invited her. I guess because Henry tells her her mom. I mean, the assumption you'd make is that if Henry invites you, obviously his mom knows. Right, and Henry's like, this house is almost mine. <laughs> yeah, so it's waiting for everybody to die, it's gonna be mine. Yeah, so, which is like a horrible situation. <laughs> um, and it reminds me of, this was a while ago, remember when Taylor Swift was dating Connor Kennedy? Mm-hmm. And they crashed that wedding? Okay, so... There I'm was not a little mad at Taylor Swift right now. Huh. Anyway, what? I'm not, I'm like mad at Taylor Swift right now. Um, not a fan of her current aesthetic. <laughs> oh my god, we're going back to hair. Her hair, her outfits. Also, I read this article about her, and it did not shed the most positive light on her. And I really don't like Calvin Harris, and so now I'm like, yeah, I don't like Calvin Harris either. Not that I know him. Not that I barely um, know him. I follow him on Snapchat, and he's really weird. Okay, we can make a Taylor Swift later. But I follow Kevin Harris on Snapchat because, like, once every six months or so, Taylor Swift makes, like, a cameo on <laughs> his Snapchat. Like, I'm a huge Taylor Swift fan. Like, I'm obsessed with Taylor Swift. So pretty. But I'm a little, I'm a little peeved with her right now. We'll see how it goes. I saw, like, old pictures of her where she looked so cute, and I just was like, <sighs> and I'm just worried about her next album. It's going to really go downhill if we're taking this Kevin Harris bleach blonde black lipstick route right now. Mm. That's my concern. Also, I'm due an album in like October and I don't think it's going to be coming. What? She does, normally releases an album every other year. I thought she was taking a break. I know. I think that's probably true. I think that is true. Yeah. Anyway. Um, okay, sorry. <laughs> okay, my point about Tony Swift, she was dating Connor Kennedy. There was a wedding in like the Kennedy family or something. And Connor took Taylor along with his date. But apparently, and I'm not blaming Tony Swift for this because I'm sure it's something she didn't know. Apparently, Connor was not invited to take a day along. So when he shows up with Taylor, like, she's not supposed to be there. Oh my gosh, I do that awkward thing where you have to, like, find an extra place setting and, like... Yeah, and it's, yeah, it's not... It's not actually, for Okay, you need to RSVP for the wedding when you're supposed to RSVP for it. Because weddings are freaking expensive. Someone has to find a place setting for you. Like, you're, we have to have food for you. Like, you can't really? show up, you know? It's a big deal. Wedding it's so awkward. Time. It's not like funny to crash a wedding. It's like horrible for the people that are paying for it. Um, cause that's primarily weddings are a financial expense. There's nothing to do with math money. <laughs> yeah. You're just spending like $30,000 on it. Just kidding. I mean, it's very cheap. They're very expensive. But, okay. So, and so I get, so there was like this like brouhaha about like Taylor Swift crashing a wedding. It's not really Taylor Swift's fault though. And then I was reading something about like, um, well, I think someone, someone, I think maybe this Connor's mom, no, his mom's dead. I don't know, guys. I actually don't know all the intricacies of the Kennedy family. Surprise. Um, but someone in that, like, clan, mm-hmm. like, made comments about, like, how rude Taylor Swift was to show up. And then, but then it went the other way. Because, like, what really looks rude to, like, people of that echelon is, like, it's really, it's really Connor who should have known not to bring her. Like, she's not at fault if so-and-so told her. Right, and then if she's she already there, home. you have to pretend like you knew she was coming all along. Right, yeah, and then it's the fact that, like, oh, someone in the family, the person who, like, made comments about how rude Taylor was, like, you don't say that. Right, you have to make a place setting and pretend like you knew she was coming the whole time. Yeah, so what really looks rude is, what's his name, who's an idiot, because he's a guy, doesn't understand that you can't take people who are uninvited to a freaking wedding. And then also the woman who, like, then makes comments about it, because now it just looks bad for everyone. Anyway, um, being on a, yeah, so, <laughs> so Kate is uninvited. And her reaction to it is really weird. 
She just like she well, never she, apologizes for the fact that like mom didn't know. No. She just so expects them to like host her, and I'm like, I would be mortified if this happened to me. Right. But we still embarrassed. I would offer to leave. And she's like, okay. <laughs> and they have to like go to town to like find her maid and like. Yeah, she doesn't have a maid with her. They have to like bring in some other girl. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Awesome. Uh, yeah, she just like um, she like recognizes that this happened, and then is like, well, she's wanted to come for so long that she's like, <laughs> like well, here I am. Mrs. Delafield is Delafield is the last minute serving Henry, so Mrs. Delafield yeah. is the mother. Mrs. Delafield is not a sympathetic character. Like she's right, again, she's like nice, I said, she's, she's manipulative. But this was a scene where I really felt like who's really at fault here? It's not Mrs. Delafield. Like, is she not, is she handling the uninvited guests the most graciously possible? No. But also, like, who should, re- like, I, like, she's in the right here, but, like, some girl just, like, showed up at her house uninvited. And Kate's like, she's really rude. She's so mean to me. And, like, okay, but you showed up at our house uninvited. What the heck were you expecting? Right. We have other reasons to hate Mrs. Delfield. Yeah, this isn't one of them. Though. This is not for me. Um, yeah, don't show up at people's houses uninvited. I mean, again. <laughs> for several weeks. It's not just, like, for dinner. Right. right. Yeah, and then she like get her like this is expensive. Uh-huh. We're buying you up. We're having to buy you a maid for your stay. Yeah. Why is it what rich people at the time do? I suppose they have like these giant house parties. People come and stay for months. Uh huh. And so that's, that's so kind weird. Of normal, but yeah, and so I mean, that's the reason that Mrs. Delafield really does not want Kate involved is that this there's a scandal in Kate's family with her old involving her older sister Eleanor. That is hinted at for legit. Let me look at that. Probably two hundred pages. It it keeps it's so. This is what so annoys me about YA when there's a big secret and they freaking won't stop hinting about it. Yes. But they never come out and freaking say it. Right. To the point where it just becomes. Where is it? I think I finally wrote down where it comes out. By the time you get I to it, it's no longer even. Yeah, more and more like details sort of start to bleed out about it. So the reveal is not a reveal because you kind of you put the pieces together on your own. So it's just been, it's just like, stop making veiled allusions to it. Just come out and say it. Because you're not, like, this isn't building suspense. It's just being freaking annoying about it. It's not big enough, it's not a big enough secret to, like, hold it back. So, There's 75% of the novel. They have multiple secrets. So we have what's happening with Mercy. Eleanor. Yeah. We have the secret of, like, why Katie changed her name to Kate and has decided she's not getting married. We kind bit. of don't know what's happening with her mother. That's also a secret, but we just kind of get more information about that. Like, initially, mm-hmm. we don't know um, why her mother's, like, hated by everyone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it all comes out as a novel, and it's all very connected, but it also, like, I feel like would have been just as impactful. Maybe not that last secret about why she changed her name or Kate to Kate. That one could have even helped that. Yeah. But, like, the Eleanor stuff and the mom stuff, I feel like if we had yeah. done that initially, it would have been just as impactful. Mm-hmm. The Eleanor storyline gained nothing from being held back mm-hmm. for so many pages. It just became increasingly annoying, especially because you figured it out. Also, even from the beginning, when I just mentioned something that was up with Eleanor, I was like, okay, look, set in the Regency period and all her sister in disgrace, what could it be? Like... If you read anything from this time period, including like the Austin novel, you've just seen the movie. You know what happened. Like, you know there was an inappropriate relationship. And probably a shotgun wedding. Because it doesn't matter if, like, you don't have to be pregnant to have a shotgun wedding. <laughs> you just have to have, like, been you a long time over, like, a long enough time that people are, like, suspicious. Yeah. So, like, you know what happened without anybody saying it. So it's just dumb to keep it secret. 
Anyway, that's why the Dallas Hill, Mrs. Dallas Hill really wants to keep Kate away from the guests because it's a scandal. Everybody knows about it. Um, and so it, once, you know, that's the problem with this time period. Once your older sister does something, your whole family is screwed. And there's also, um, Mrs. Delfield has picked up, because she's not a moron, on the fact that Henry and Kate have kind of a thing happening. And she also doesn't want that happening. Because Henry, during this summer, is supposed to propose to his... What? Time... Person. Person. It's not really, yeah. They're not really... They're not really really calling a courtship. It's just obvious (laughs) that they're supposed to be together. I just got pinned on the upholstery of this chair, you guys. That's... Um, so anyway, they're at the house, things are happening, there's a bird in the room. <laughs> oh my god, I, this is one of my problems with historical fiction for why, well, but any historical fiction that does it. They always have, and this book is just completely different, I'm home, like, way too much, um, the, like, metaphor for, like, cons- like, a woman feeling confined by her life or whatever, mm-hmm. in this book, it has to do with birds. Oh, in The holy crap! We get hammered over the time for the entire table. You remember when I mentioned that one star review on Goodreads? <laughs> she really hated this. this she was... counted <laughs> the instances of like caged and bird. Oh, oh bless her heart! She like really hated it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was hilarious. It brought me a lot of joy to read that comment. So I appreciate her taking the time to do it. Shout out to you if you're listening. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. But where yeah. Did, where's my novel? We both have copies of the book and I can't find it. Alright, yeah, page 76 in my notes. Already by page 76, which is not that far in. And I'm already saying this bird metaphor is getting freaking heavy-handed. Um, and, yeah, like, if I immediately know what this, like, so-called, like, extended metaphor, like, imagery thing is, like, if I immediately know what it's symbolic of, it's not very good. It's not. It's not worth it. It's too much. It reminds me of sophomore year English when we were like forced <laughs> to use extended metaphors oh my Lord. in our English papers, which like is a horrible thing. Like, what, right. what are we teaching like, about? Okay. Like, occasionally, like an extended metaphor can add something to a yeah. like a if it comes naturally. Right. A liter- We were like reviewing. We were writing essays about books, not right. stories. Right. Um, and occasionally, those can be helpful. Like, yeah. occasionally. Sometimes they're really good, but they have to come naturally. She would be, like, would be in-class essaying, which, one, in-class essays are, like, the worst. Mm-hmm. I cannot imagine what those read like for me. I, like, struggle with grammar when I can, like, reread things all the time, so I don't know what it looked like at these first drafts. But I like those emails that I sent to you when I was 15, where they, like, have yeah. no grammatical structure at all. consciousness. <laughs> but anyway, we, have t- we were forced to have... Um, Tend to metaphors, and they were always like so dumb and so like contrived, strained to read. Yeah, because I spent a ton of time. I spent like most of the time trying to figure out okay, what's my dumbest. First, you would be like, okay, Macbeth. All right, so this is what I'm gonna say about Macbeth. Right. And then you spend and you find textual support, and then you spend a freaking hour and a half trying to think, okay, what contrived metaphor am I gonna work in now so that I have a, now that I have a, a thesis and a plan for an essay? What am I gonna? How am I gonna make this into a stupid symbol? Yeah, this is what I'm saying. Anyway, she also made all. She made us always read our books twice, which is annoying. Yeah, I was like, I read it well the first time, and I won't be going back to it. Thanks. We don't hate her, by the way. No, she's great. I learned a lot. I did learn a lot. We didn't like having to read those books twice, and also extended metaphors were the worst. (laughs) I don't want to say your name, but. (laughs) Yeah. You know who our sophomore English teacher (laughs) is? Okay, so on page 76. 
This is one I found ridiculous. It was way too heavy-handed. And so on page 76, it says, um, this is when she finds there's this bird in a cage in this, like, essentially, like, unused room. It's, like, the second music room or something. It's Yeah, it's, like, a... It's not the first music room. It almost seems like, like, a... I don't know how big it is. It's hard to tell. It's It's also the first music room. It is? Yeah, they were attached. Like, if you go through a door in the first music room, you get into the second music room. And it's, like, big enough to have, like, a bird and a piano and shelving and a secret passage. So, like, it must be, like, pretty... Because, like, initially you might be, like, oh, it must be, like, a small room off on the side. But it, like, seems, like, full room-sized. You can get a piano in here. We're sitting in the office right now. That's true. You can put a piano in a bird cage. Yeah. In a secret passage. I mean, that goes outside. It's not in the room. I guess that could be the doorway. Yeah, exactly. right there. Here's the piano. Here we go. We're sitting in the second music room right now. Um, <laughs> the first music room is just pages looking. <laughs> yeah, that's where the real piano is at. Um, yeah, so it's just bizarre. What are they trying to say about this? Oh, this is where this bird is kept in a cage, which is like random place. Also, and I for the whole novel, I was like, who remembers to feed this? Because it's not yeah, a big room. Or, like, clean the cage. Yeah. I guess, like, the maids. I guess they are always cleaning. But I feel like nobody else but them is in the room. Which might be true. But on page 36. So come in and feed it. It's like, who bird is it? Do you find out why the heck there's a bird in this room? Because it is a grandpa? Because this is, like, a private <laughs> cinema metaphor. That's why the bird's in the room. Grandpa has Alzheimer's. We'll meet him later. Yeah. And so, okay, so this page 76, this is where she is. She finds a bird. This is, like, her first time meeting her or whatever. Blah, blah, blah. So this is a short paragraph where you're already like, oh, God, stop. So and then I understood, I'm quoting, why I thought something stirred in this room. A dark bird fluttered wildly along the cage, its feathers hitting against the iron bars. But besides the sounds of its wings, the bird made no noise. I held my breath as I watched it and felt a connection with this dark, wild bird that I could not explain. Really? You can't explain it? I can explain it to you. I know exactly why you feel a so-called connection with it. It's because you feel just like the damn bird trapped in the cage of your life. I know exactly, like, can't explain it, it's very explainable. And as a reader, you immediately know that. It's ridiculous. Well, and we've already had so many bird sightings. Like, she likes to go bird watching. She's really into birds. Um, she's really into birds. Her eyebrows are compared to birds because <laughs> Henry's obsessed with her eyebrows. Because that's how she, he fell in love with her, via her eyebrows. Um, <laughs> that's totally true, but it's true. The eyebrows are <laughs> eyebrows. Um, yep. So the birds are around a lot, and they're kind of annoying. Um, so yeah, the spirit of birds, we meet this bird in the room. He's not actually important, plot point at all, except it. he's right there as our extended metaphor. We get to visit him a lot. Eventually he dies, you guys. Yeah. They let him out of his cage, and then like a few days later he dies. Wow, that's small. And then she's like, did he die because he, we let him out of his cage? Or did he die because he was so restless? And then this random guy who's like in the room is like, he probably died because of his cage. And then she's like, I'm going to India. Um, and she leaves. But anyway, we're not to that point. <laughs> so anyway, back to those three proposals that she talked about with her mother. So this deal with her mother is that she needs to make three proposals. And initially she tries to like flirt with men that are there, but then that doesn't go well. And she winds up flirting with a guy that like Sylvia's thinking about marrying, which she. <laughs> Kate was like, that guy's hecka old, I don't know why you want to marry him. And then Sylvia was like, um, he's really nice. So anyway, there's some drama there. And then he's like, she's like, no, I'll just ask Henry to propose to me three times. And then, because my mom never said that I'd be three different guys. Yeah. Um, and then I'll be done, and I'll be good, and I can go to India. Yeah, and so Henry does see that she's unhappy, and so he wants to help her, and she's like, all right, well, he's fine, he can help me. <laughs> propose to me three times. Um, mind you, Henry's supposed to propose to his 
person. Miss St. Clair, I think is her name. Yeah. Juliet. Saint, Juliet St. Clair. Is that a name? I mean, I know it's a name, but is that, is that a, like, a, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. But, yeah, I'm period. So he is supposed to be, right and, like, the thing is, she's not going to tell anyone that he's proposing to her, and she's obviously going to say no every time he asks her to marry. He asks her to marry him. But, <laughs> but also, like, if you caught wind of this as the fiancé, the, the presumptive, presumptive fiancé, like, I'm sorry, I don't care if this is, like, a, like, a ploy, but, like, you're about to propose to me. I don't want to be like second choice. Like, oh, I asked her three times. I didn't just propose once. Well, was three times to this girl, and she said no. So I guess I'll marry you. Yeah. Um. To be a real bad thing if anybody found out. Yeah, it's horrible. I can't even believe she asked Henry to do this because she's like, it won't even affect his life because his life's already like sorted. But yeah. um. I really love that was one of those. Um. Yeah. Anyway, this was a weird thought to me. This whole Saint Clair Henry Kate. Let's call it a triangle, for lack of a better word. Um, I mean, it's essentially it's a triangle. It is a, it's a disinterested triangle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, to me, this was just bizarre. Okay, so Henry, we know, is in love with Kate. They never come out and state it towards him. And Kate is in love with Henry. Yeah, Henry doesn't know that. Henry thinks his feelings are unreturned, and no one's been explicit about their feelings. So it's, again, this is like a situation where everybody can ignore the fact that people have feelings for each other. Um, which is good, it's fine. <laughs> and, but, Miss St. Clair, whatever, Juliet, whatever, is supposed to marry Henry. There's no formal existing commitment between the two of them. Um, they're not engaged. But, in this time period, you don't have to have, you don't have to have an actual engagement to technically be, like, almost engaged. Like, if, if everyone, like, this is something you see in, like, Austin Sullivan as well, like, if someone, like, once everybody around you knows that, like, you look, like, you two have been hanging out, essentially, um, there better be a real commitment there, or it better be working to an actual formal commitment, right. um, or it's going to be a little bit scandalous. Right. So at this or point, Julia. yeah, at this point, like, Miss St. Clair and Henry is, like, it's not a thing, technically, but it's a thing, because everybody knows about it, including them. Um, so Miss St. Clair is already acting like she's the owner of Blackmore, which is tasteless. Um, she's already talking about, like, it's her house, which, again, she, like, there is no... She people on tours of it. Yeah, yeah. it's weird. Mm-hmm. Um, that part was weird. But we have to villainize her some way, because... <laughs> right, because she's actually quite nice. Um, she's very, very nice. And she makes, like, some, like, tasteless remarks or whatever. Right, she's very... She also, like, very much kind of, um, follows all the, the societal rules of the time. But, like, that's, I don't know, that's not my fault. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, sorry. I just realized my laptop was charging. Okay, good. <laughs> and, um, she, I mean, she, like, takes a basket down to the town and, like, gives them food mm-hmm. as charity, which, like, Which yeah. she doesn't have the proper attitude for. She's right. kind of like, this is what I do for the less fortunate. She's very right. high-minded about it. Right. But, but she's, like, ultimately... She's just like a product of her times, and she's not mean. She's not spiteful. She's not mean to Kate. She's quite nice to Kate. Mm-hmm. Um, Kate hates her, obviously, right? Because she's being nice to her, which I understand. Sometimes, like really nice people, you're like, yeah, no, sometimes, yeah, the like vengeful part of yourself is like, well, right. You want them to like, they're really nice, so <laughs> yeah, you like need them to escalate and mm-hmm. so I mean, the power yeah. dynamic. If you can't get them to react, then like. 
it's frustrating. I understand that. We're really good people, so. (laughs) (laughs) A feeling vindictive. I understand that. Right. But obviously, the novel has to villainize her somewhat, because guess what? Henry's ultimately going to throw her over for Kate. Spoiler alert. I don't understand this part of the plot. Henry's clearly in love with Kate, and I guess he's decided, he's like, Kate will never taste the same. Mary doesn't want to get married at all, and she doesn't like me. Because that's what Kate actually is in love with him. But he doesn't know that. Right. And so, so I guess from his perspective, it makes sense to finally be like, Right, and I think his mother is really pressuring him too. Yeah. And he likes her too. So it's. He likes Julia. She's really nice, but he's not in love with her. But Kate is always. She's like really upset about this relationship between Henry and Juliet, which is ridiculous. Because, like, I understand that, like, you're going to have feelings that, like, fine, she can't, like, control all of them. Okay. But you cannot just be like this irrational about it. If you're gonna say for years and you're gonna come out, she makes a like a bizarre announcement to everyone. She feels she can't just like make this decision not to marry and like have people come to find out about it a normal way. She like announces that Henry and Sylvia that she's never gonna marry. It's bizarre. It's totally not necessary. Um, but if you're gonna come out and announce to everyone that you're not gonna get married, if you're continually gonna have this friendship with Henry and he knows for a fact that you're never gonna get married and you never um show any the fact that like you have feelings for him if you're making that commitment you can't also be mad at the girl he's gonna marry because you said that you weren't ever right, gonna get married because you're not gonna get you're married. gonna go off to india right just because you're not gonna get married doesn't mean he should not do married. right but anyway she decides like she's gonna use him he's all about this he also decides that these proposals he means kind of an exchange shit. right there's a secret passageway to an abbey Obviously, because why wouldn't there be a secret passageway to a deserted abbey? Um, and so, like, every night for three nights, they're going to go through a secret passageway, and they're going to go out to the abbey, and he's going to propose to her for, like, realsies. Um, he's not just going to be like, will you marry me, will you marry me, will you marry me, will you marry me? Okay, we're done. Yeah, um, that's what I would have done. I wouldn't have agreed to this. That's true. But, um, also, what if you, she says yes, yeah, now you're in a binding. Now yeah, you're in traps. Yeah. You can't, um, <laughs> you can't break the The man can't break off the engagement. Right. And then unless you want to be shot, pistol that dawn by her brother, cousin, or dad. Her dad. Her dad that is like is just locked in a closet. In a sense for the entire novel. Um we I think we see him before she leaves. She's like, my dad. And she has to run away. Um anyway, so but in exchange, she has to share one secret. Mm-hmm. He gets to ask her a question. Yeah. Whatever, blah blah blah. They have these heart to hearts. Who cares? Uh, and let's do the, the reveal of why she changed her name. Eventually, this is what happens. What comes out is the reason she changed her name from Kate to Kate. Well, the reason she changed her name from Kate to Kate is she found that her mother was. Her mother is like very, like, flirts with other men. Her mother is married. Right. And But she's constantly flirting with other men. It's super inappropriate and it's not subtle. Like, everybody, everybody knows. Everybody knows about this. So it's, you know, again, Eleanor, bad enough. The fact that your mother is constantly, like, this is really shameful to everybody involved. Mm-hmm. Except for the mother. The mom and Eleanor don't feel any shame. Right, again, um, I think this is how they've been stripped of so much power in this oppressive society that this is how they. I also feel like it's totally animalistic, though. Um, but, so, her, she, like, she, I don't know, she got this ball. Uh, at the Delafield's house, she ends up hiding behind the freaking curtains. I can't remember exactly what happens, but the upshot is she overhears 
Mrs. Delafield reassuring some higher up in the Delafield family, like an aunt or someone, that don't worry, Henry won't marry Kate because she has all the scandal attached to her. Don't worry, he's going to marry Miss St. Clair. Like, the house will be safe. But she changed the will to make sure that he's gonna, Henry's gonna lose Blackmore, the estate. Henry doesn't know this, but the will can change. Henry's gonna lose Blackmore if he marries Kate. Um, he has to marry what's her face to remain. Um, to get an inheritance of Blackmore the house, mm-hmm. um, which he really has come to love. So that would be a really it's a case like I can't right, and let him marry me. Yeah, because he'll lose this house. It's such a big, um, important part of him. She overhears that, and then she overhears like her mother's creepy interaction with this guy. Right. Right. Yeah. He's like a captain of the militia, and he, she he calls her his kitten. And yeah. he's like, oh. she's like, okay, I can't go by Kitty anymore. Yeah, it's freaking creepy. <laughs> it's a little bit of a stretch. I don't know. It seems weird and unnecessary. Like, if I met another page that I didn't like, I didn't go change my name, you know? <laughs> now, like, well, now I'm eating it on my Danielle. <laughs> like, what? Danielle's your middle name, though. Just <laughs> yeah. random name. <laughs> Came up with that real fast. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's what happens. That's, like, the big reveal. We also find out that Eleanor... We already touched on a little bit, but Eleanor had a shotgun wedding because had exactly the scandal you think she would have had. Right. You saw that too. Because she has the same behavior as her mother. Yeah. She flirts with a lot of guys. One of them she flirted too much with had to get married. <laughs> yeah, she was actually gonna plan. She was like, Oh yeah, I was gonna sneak into what's his name's bed. Yeah. So that he would have to marry me because Oh yeah, she's having like a I don't a fear might be too heavy handed of a word. But she was having like a flirtation with this married man. Yeah. And so she was going to try and trap him into marriage by, like, showing him in his bedchamber, and then... Didn't work. Then you screwed, yeah, someone found out about it before. Yeah, it was going to happen. Anyway, obviously, yeah. So she finds up telling Henry about this, and then Henry's like, I don't care, I'll marry you anyway, even though... I'll lose the house. I'll lose the the house, and she's like, no, I don't want you to lose the house, and then she goes to India. (laughs) Yep, and along the way, she's like, I don't believe in love, love is destructive, and she has... So this is, okay... Alright, we're like right towards the end, we're gonna wrap this up. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we're gonna wrap this up, probably not the podcast. <laughs> Only did it in like 49 minutes, don't worry, guys. Um, so she has this hang up about love and marriage as being this horrible institution that's very confining. Um, she's like, I'm not gonna end up with my parents who, like, maybe they started out in love, but like, look, they hate each other now, and they're just horrible people. And she's like, I'm not gonna, you know, like, make you lose your inheritance, and also just like, have our like friendship and our feelings for each other turned to hatred, which <laughs> is a lot like the beginning of Phaedrus, the Platonic dialogue, in which Socrates and Phaedrus. I'm not gonna tell the whole thing. Don't worry. Michelle's like making facial expressions. <laughs> um, debate this speech that Phaedrus has heard about how a lover, a non-lover, is better than a lover, um, because the non-lover's feelings aren't gonna change. Like, they're not changeable, like, love apparently is, and so they're always going to, like, care for you because that's, like, the commitment they've made. As opposed to a lover could decide, actually, not in love with you, and it could turn bad. Um, stop people and she dispute this in case you're lemon. It's good dialogue. It has to do with cicadas. And the chariot of your soul is just pulled pull by a horse and a bad horse. That's what um, we're recommending in this podcast. <laughs> yeah, theater is better, <laughs> Um, no, we have a better recommendation later, but yeah. If you want to read that, go for it. Of course, lover and non-lover in ancient Greece actually refers to the relationship between a man and a boy. So mm-hmm. it's perhaps more applicable to marriage. Um, if you want to know more about ancient Greek views and sexuality, we don't have time to cover that, but it's different <laughs> from what you think. <laughs> um, yeah. 
Anyway, so she has, she has this hanging out on Love and Marriage, okay? And Henry is... Which is understandable from, like, the model of marriage. Sure. She's seen yeah. model of parents. Right. And I can understand how you're not, you're not keen to jump into that institution. As yeah, it looks pretty horrible. Right? They don't have this hang-up with marriage that she does, but I also live in 2016, and I would be expecting a much more equitable marriage than would have been available to her in the 1890s. Right. So it makes sense. And Henry is like, no, I'll just throw everything over for her, for you. And the one part, I think Kate does have a point here in saying, like, I'm not going to make you do that. Also, like, also, like, what the heck are they going to do once he loses his, like, the house manners? They're going to have to go live in the city with those poor people. Right, like, Henry, FYI, is not working class. So, what is he going to do? Build tiny houses for people. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to build dollhouses, which is a thriving industry. I'm sure people had dollhouses, but I feel like... Yeah. I feel like it's not a career. But if you take three months to build one, you better be selling that for some good money. <laughs> yeah. Um, so she does have a point that like economically, like what are they gonna do? Like it's nice that you're in love, but like like what's gonna happen after, you know, like you're written out of a will, like what are they don't they don't she can't work. Like what's Kate gonna do? And Henry, like, I don't see a lot of career prospects for him. So she has a lot of points that are bringing up the fact that like <laughs> Um, this could go really bad for us. Also, my problem here, so like, okay, end of the book, there's this dramatic scene. Kate's like, I can't meet my mother's bargain, which uh, she shouldn't have made in the first place, idiot. And now like, she's fine. Again, the mother's bargain really ever makes sense because if you're doing these proposals with Henry totally in secret when no one else knows, then I don't understand why you didn't just lie about it at the beginning. Well, let's say, pardon me, miss, her mother shows up and her mother's like, hey, remember how she, because eventually she's like, I can't pull Henry to this or something. Mm-hmm. And her mother's like, remember how you promised you would do anything for me? Now I'm going to collect on that. Again, this is the, also, I would, she, and she like, Kate's like, oh yeah, I have to fulfill this promise. I'd be like, no. <laughs> Even if it was like a dumb organization that I made, I wouldn't then be like, yeah, oh, I'm gonna hold myself to it. I'd just be like, sorry. Like, I. Yeah. Oh, yeah I would just be like, screw it. Yeah. yeah, her mom just shows up at the house. I don't think we mentioned that, but whatever. She does. She's just like, hello. Um, Maria, her sister, was never sick. This was her mom's plan all along. Sneaky mom. And her mom is gonna try and like get Kate to get the grandfather who has dementia to rewrite the will. This is a stupid plan, honestly. This is like never gonna happen. Yeah. And she also is trying to then get Maria to marry Henry? I don't know. Yeah, she's like, oh, Kate, if you won't do it, Maria will do it. I'm like, good luck with that. And then at this point, I'm like, okay, Kate, you know what you really need to do? Push your mom off those cliffs. <laughs> like, your mom is not helping anyone. Like, murder is normally not the answer, but... This this is point, at this point, things are not looking bad. Like, she's not making the world better at all. <laughs> <laughs> so, Kate, this is fine. And Kate's like, I'll I run think away. I think it's that point. I'll run away to meet Aunt Charlotte in London and go to India. This should have been the plan the entire time. Yeah. I don't understand. Anyway, she finally commits to it. She runs away. There's a tearful scene with Henry. And she finally admits it. In fact, she loves him. Ergo, she's running away to India. <laughs> <laughs> blah, blah, blah. She gets it. And then there's a tap up. There's one chapter at the end. Two. Two. Sorry. Two. One's a year later and one's five years later. That's an epilogue. That was not even a chapter for a paragraph. No, it's a page. Two paragraphs, but it isn't an epilogue. It's chapter forty. Okay, it should be an epilogue. It should be an epilogue. I don't know why it's not an epilogue. It is an epilogue for all. I guess because then both books can be considered epilogues to some extent. I guess the last one. Anyway, so anyway. she's anyway she's India in India with her aunt Charlotte, and it's hot. She misses Henry. 
God knows what these women are doing. These two single women and Charlotte must somehow have independent will, but she's unmarried. I don't understand. But they're in India and they are living with the other British people, which means that they must be they, these are like the Lee here Glass. Also, again, I don't know that much about um, India during this time period with colonial and how it was during with colonialism. Yeah, again, of, this is very equal love. Rich white people running off to a third world country to find themselves. Right, like I, I don't know what and India was like. Like I don't know how British people lived in India uh-huh. during the colonialism in India. Um, I know that the Indian people don't like it very much, um, <laughs> but I don't know why that would be better than just like moving in with Aunt Charlotte, maybe living in London, doing cool things there. India is just her dream because it's a dream of like running away and escape. There's really no. She does have some kind of the biggest, the most like thoughtful she ever gets is this moment where she's like what if I get to India and I'm just it's just another cage like I'm just yeah. trapped there as well. Yeah what if the problem is with me and not with my geographical location and then she's like mm, we'll try anyway. this is a thing to think about before you quit your job and buy a plane ticket to Thailand a lot of people right. have done this, a lot of travel bloggers and I'm like, it's great that it worked out for you I think you can, I think you can like change your life and like find your, like, right. without going to Thailand it's necessarily. Like those, it's like those people who are like, I can only do and then they sit in the library and they're still on BuzzFeed. <laughs> and, like, again, like, perhaps your geographical location could contribute things to your life, but it doesn't define your life. Just like your working location doesn't actually define how much work you're going to get done. If you're going to sit in the library and do nothing, you might as well sit in your bed and do nothing. <laughs> like, yeah. Anyway, everyone, free, this is a frequent thing that still happens where people are like, I just need a change of scenery and that will change my life. And it's like if you haven't done the internal work, like yeah. Generally it's rich white people who have the money to go off to it. Right. I less developed ergo more exotic. Uh, yeah, a simpler time. They're able to yep. go back uh-huh. to a simpler time. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <sighs> Fire off on all cylinders today. It's a long podcast, but I think we made some really interesting points. <laughs> some of our long podcasts just like get to go on top, but we've said some stuff today. <laughs> we said the first thing that's just talking about deep things. <laughs> of course. So I was going to write this and be like, this is shit. <laughs> <laughs> These guys are totally full of themselves and they know nothing. That is true. Obviously, we're sitting here recording our own podcast. Like, <laughs> and we have no English classes. <laughs> I took one. Yeah. So, yeah, okay. But we should have a philosophy page to her thesis on. Mm-hmm. Plato. Yeah. Sit down. And I talk about religion. Did my thesis on religion, because I painted in religion. Uh-huh. We are talking sometimes about stuff, you know. I'm going to read things. Yeah. For lifelong learners, so. Yeah. <laughs> so sit down, everyone. Who's <laughs> judging us. Anyway. Anyway. So then Henry shows up in India. Well, yeah, she's in India, <laughs> and she's like, this is kind of cool, but she's also, like, kind of miserable because she misses Henry, and that's all she thinks about Ah, so predictable. Anyway, lo and behold, however many months later, Henry just shows up in India. He hasn't written her any letters back because he just decided to come. She gets one letter a day. He shows up. So for (laughs) there any man in the world worth grieving over, it was Henry Delafield. That's one of her lines from that chapter where she says India. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. And then he shows up. Anyway, and then we get in chat. I've given up Blackmore. Let's get, like, and she's like, and then it's, it's like all worked out happily after. Right, yeah. he's like, I don't care if you're married or not, like, I've already given a flag on so. Which, this is something that maybe Matt, okay, this chapter has a sort of attack on quality. Because there's only, it seems like there's this climax where she runs away, 
and goes to India, but then there's only one chapter for India, and it just seemed like there should be more. Right. There needs to be, like, a, maybe a second climactic moment or something. Where she, like, discovers that love isn't, like, she, like, learns that love is in India because now I'm just writing this for the novel, and again, similar times, these similar people have, they, they know what love is because in India they mm. live simpler lives. It's a very colonialistic understanding of India. But then she, like, sees love happening in India and she realizes that marriage doesn't have to be a better cage. Yeah, this is but very, there's none of that. <laughs> yeah, it seems very tacky on it. We, we just went from this, like, giant climax to the ending real fast, and there needed to be more. There could have been more, like, if you wanted to put more struggle in, fine. I don't care, but there needed to be more something. And especially because her big thing is that, like, she has this huge hang-up about love and marriage, and she doesn't, she has these views about how twisted it is. And those are never reconciled. Right. She just goes to India and finds herself miserable. But that doesn't change, it, or shouldn't necessarily change her perspective on marriage as an institution or something. Right. She doesn't do any work to, like, figure that mm-hmm. out, right? It doesn't have to be external. It doesn't have to be an event. You could go the neo-colonial route, like Michelle, and, like, realize in India, again, eat, pray, love. Um, <laughs> that could happen. Or it, there needs to at least be, like, internal thinking happening. None of them happens. She's just laying on this hand. Right. Well, then he shows up and because like, oh. she makes this as a statement as it's based in an institution, but it's really not. It's based on this one situation that happened to her where she's worried about Henry losing his inheritance. She's not actually concerned about the institution of marriage. Or at least that. Well, she has some sort of a parent relationship. But then, yeah, it doesn't but, matter, like, disappears. But she's not. <laughs> yeah. She said that, but, like... It doesn't seem to be a problem because then it's not a problem. Anymore. Right. When it's not convenient to be a problem, it's no longer a problem. Anyway, so then she goes to India, and there's a chapter that's five years later. It's not even a chapter, though. It should be an epilogue, and it's also, like, it's half a page long. Uh, it is... Um, it's mostly dialogue. But it's of them going back to Blackmore with their new child. Five years later, yeah. Olivia, who is, like, talking. And I'm like, how old is this kid? They are five, five years, years later. She's probably four. She's probably four. They got married, like, that day, and then got a baby. <laughs> because no other children. Because this child is like talking about like, talking and pulsations, which like children are even four and four even like sentences are like on. <laughs> there it is. But, yeah, the epilogue really didn't need to be there. We didn't gain anything from it. So they're going back to Blackmore. Does that mean he has Blackmore now? I don't think so. I think they're just going to visit. I don't know what the idea is. I don't know either. Anyway, the also really both of those are tacked on, we assume, because in the author's note. Yes, okay, this is super weird to me. So I'm reading the author's note. For whatever reason, I would read the author's note. Or no, it's the acknowledgments, it's the acknowledgments. Mm-hmm. I usually read the acknowledgments because I don't know them. I skim the acknowledgments, but if it's just a list of Sometimes people. there's interesting stuff packed in there. Right, there's also an author's note. Can I read that? The author's note is just about like historical details, it's boring. She's like, I didn't say that this bird, there's a bird in the other coast, of course there is. She's like, I base it on X bird, though I didn't say it. And I'm just like, who who cares? Who cares about the birds? I don't care about birds at all. We've noticed that. Okay, but in the acknowledgments, she thanks this person or this group of people for encouraging her to have a happier ending and being right about it. And I'm like, wait a minute. What was the ending supposed to be? If this is the happier ending, and it is, like it's a happily ever after in the sense that like Kate and it's called him William, um, Kate and William. They're the king of Flamingo. No, they're not. Um, not yeah, yeah, actually, right. Um, <laughs> sorry. But um, Kate and Henry, like, they get back together, they end up married. Okay. Yeah. If that's, so that's the happy ending, I understand that. But if that's, 
If someone encouraged her to have a happy ending, what the heck was the ending supposed to be? I think she just tapped on those last two chapters. I think India tapped She was just rushed. She ran away to India. Which honestly, that'd be more consistent with her character. But it'd be such a dumb book because this this book, okay, I'm sorry, before you even start this book, when you read the back of the book, you look at the cover, you know what this book is about. You know the story before you start. Okay, let me read you from the back of the book in case you don't believe me. Um, blah, blah, blah. So it sums up what's going to happen, the fact that she has to get these three proposals. It says some stuff about her dearest childhood friend, Henry Dogville. Blah, 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 blah. Quoting now. In the wild, windswept countryside near the coast of northern England, Kate must face the truth and has kept her heart captive. Will the proposal she's determined to reject actually be the one thing that will set her heart free? Wow, I don't know what that leading question means. Okay, if you read the book of the book, you know exactly what the story is. You know that Kate and Henry are going to end up together. Obviously. Maybe in the original she dies. She like is running off to India and the boat crashes. And then Henry's like, no. So my point is not that necessarily that this is a better or worse ending of a happy one. I'm talking about that if it didn't have this ending, it would be entirely inconsistent with the novel. That it would have been completely misleading. Like this is a genre fiction regency romance. If the characters don't end up together at the end, what the hell book is this? What the hell book is this? That is the real question. <laughs> and that's where we will end. No, it's just the plot. <laughs> this is where we end the plot, yeah. What the hell is that? If what the hell book is this? <laughs> if it didn't have that happier ending, she's not ending. <laughs> it would have made legit no sense to the novel. I just want to point that out. I think the India chapter. I think the India chapter was tacked on, and it felt a little bit tacked on because again, there was it was just a single chapter to wrap it up. Um, but I agree that like it needed to end halfway over after, or it would have been what the hell book is this? Okay, <laughs> now we'll talk about. I'm gonna just say the mom, and I had two weird texts. Okay. Okay, are you good? Yep. Okay. okay. The mother, we, we touched on this a lot, that all mothers are horrible people in this book. Kate's mother, it's too much. It's way too far. It's ridiculous. It's just, it's not at all realistic. I can understand that mothers being manipulative. Um, I understand that. For this time period, though, it's completely inaccurate. This is like an SNL parody of like... <laughs> Like, it's like Kristen Wiig with her, like, <laughs> pointing with everyone. Like, it's a character. Like, it's a caricature. <laughs> right? Character. Sure. I don't really know what the difference between those two are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, anyway. Yeah. Like, this that's is, true. It's a very good. It was like Catherine de Medici of Regency Women. And it's not. This is not. I think you'd be hard pressed to find a Regency mother that acted like this. Because it's crazy. It's like way too much. I understand. She could have been like a horrible mother. She could have been manipulative. She could have just been like not caring about her daughter's best interest. That's fine. But you have to do that realistically. This wasn't realistic. This was like a million miles too far away. A million it's really creepy. miles too far away. <laughs> because there's an identical twin plot. There's not. Harking back to our first book. Maybe that also, was the, the mother, like, mother. knows about business. At some point, the mother is like talking about like business. I'm like, Okay, again, what are the chances that this woman's a business woman? No, because it's not women true. weren't educated like that, which doesn't mean if you're not educated, doesn't mean you're not intelligent. Smart, in so you're just not given the opportunity. Yeah, but it's just ridiculous. It was right, if no one teaches you about business, it's not something that you would just innately know. Like, it's not something that high IQ would give you. Right, it's just, it was, it was completely drawing in the text because it was obviously ludicrous. Um, also, she has a younger brother in this plot who hangs out with the cook. And I'm like, is this realistic? 
Does the does the younger brother of this wealthy family just get to hang out in the kitchen and cook? Does the staff is this family? They will be just have a. I mean, they're the Delfields like neighbors. Yeah, that's true. Sure. Like they seem like much poorer, but they can't be. Yeah. Because we see what much poorer looks like, and they are not very mm-hmm. mm-hmm. at the same level at all. Right. Yeah. But, it's but maybe they're just like because they've had just so much scandal that they're just like I think they socially have no social. I think socially they've fallen, but I think as a mom, I think they're still okay. I think. I don't care so. Anyway, they get too much. Well, I think the mom doesn't care about the son because she only cares about marrying off her daughters. So right. The son is a lot younger, but the father is like again locked in a closet. We don't like he's right. a character that is still alive, but might as well not be. Yeah, I honestly, when we started this, I was like, "Is father alive or dead?" He's like, but I think he's alive. I can't. Remember. You have like sweets or a slot in the door. <laughs> okay. I had two weird text things and I wanted to comment on. Okay, sorry, now I have to find it. Okay. Okay. So this is this is just like from a mechanical like writing standpoint, one of the things that you're like, did someone did someone read this again before you printed it? From the rough draft. Okay, she this is her like Kate arriving on the moors. This is her first this is a description of like her first experience of looking at or whatever. Alright, so first it says dark heather covered the ground like a bruise, the laurel green and gold of the grass. Note that. The laurel green and gold of the grass. And the occasional yellow flower did little to brighten the scene. A couple more lines. It says Henry stood beside me, watching my face as I looked at the landscape before me. Not a blade of green grass soothes the eye here. What the hell? It's laurel gold. Laurel green and gold. She talks about the color of the grass, and then she says, not a blade of grass was here. What the heck, you guys? Come on. <laughs> this is inconsistent. Is there grass? Is there not grass? How come we didn't get this on a second read of our rough draft? How come the editor didn't catch this? How come nobody caught this? Um, Where are the beta readers? I wouldn't readers? have caught it. <laughs> I wouldn't have caught it. Um, I didn't catch anything, though. Um, so the, <laughs> like the dog daycare we sent my dog to sent him a birthday card. Um... And it, on it, it says, happy tooth birthday, like, <laughs> two with a TH. And I didn't notice, and my mom would, like, laugh every time she walked by it, because she thought it was freaking hilarious. Um, and she wouldn't tell me what it was wrong, because she thought it was funny that I didn't notice also. Um, and eventually my sister told me what was wrong with it, because I never could figure it out with myself. Oh, it has li- literally, like... <laughs> three words on it. Happy tooth birthday. So it was not like I was like trying to read through like a bulk of text to try find trying to find this error. <laughs> so again, I would have noticed. I have oh, my God. <laughs> I have some issues with grammar, spelling, type of structure. It's hilarious. And as I've gotten older, it's not gotten better. I think I've just gotten more aware of it. I can't believe who along the line is like two T H. I think it's just like I think it's just like they in their computer. Third, fourth. You have to get all the way to fourth before you get a th. A th. What an idiot. idiot. What an idiot. Um, but yeah, it's really cute. And I hang on our bridge. I have a picture of my dog on it. Uh, because now all of us are too old to have things to hang on the bridge. So mm-hmm. we just hang our dogs. They hang on the bridge. <laughs> yeah. Okay. My last textual thing here. So Kate's mom originally wants to marry this Mister Cooper, who is old and creepy. He's like ninety. Yeah, but. That he's gonna, her mom's like, this is even better. He's gonna die, and then you'll be out. Which, if I had to get married in this time period, technically, if I couldn't marry someone for like love or like even um, just like basic like 
compatibility. Like, yeah, compatibility. <laughs> I guess elderly and infirm would be the way to go because they're going to die soon. Sorry. Right. That sounds horrible, though. It, again, I was sometimes reading this book, just like thinking about living in this time period made me just want to like sock my fingers off and gouge my eyes out. Like, yeah. the worst. Yeah. Anyway, so she's talking about. Okay, she's reflecting on the fact that she made the dumbest bargain possible with her mother because she's the IQ of a folding chair, apparently. <laughs> and she says, What madness had possessed me, I'm quoting, to make me think that that was an attainable goal? No idea. I had only ever had one man propose to me, and that was Mr. Cooper, a decaying old man who only wanted a warm body to watch over his deathbed. Now, I'm pretty sure he only wants a warm body, but I don't think it's for that. Just what I say. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Point that out. I'm sorry. It's not, hey, that's the problem when you have, like, these proper romances that they won't. Can I have a question? Yeah. She's like 19. This girl? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I thought she was like 16, 17. I don't know. Who cares? She's young. An old teen, though. So I like 17, 18, 19. Right now. Okay, we ready? Yep. For our rating? Yes. No, we're going to this book first. Okay. Okay, yeah, so. Both of these are furious comparisons. I feel like Loving Heights does not have a lot of crossover. Loving Heights is, like, transgressive. And one thing I forgot to mention that I was surprised about was that on the moor, they do the opening scene for their, like, arriving or whatever. The moor does have the same sort of significance in a way that it does in Loving Heights here. The idea of, like, wild and untamed and outside of societal convention, which I thought was interesting. Because it really seems like not the theme of this book. Ultimately, this is a... It is a proper romance, like it says. But I guess it's always easier to explore, like, those transgressive themes in, like, an earlier time, like we were talking about. It's, mm-hmm. like, safer. Mm-hmm. It's safer to be, like, a girl who doesn't want to get married and who wants to be educated than it would to do it now. Because a lot of these faith-based books, like, marriage is what you do. And, like, that's the right thing for you to do. Right. Anyway, so... Anyway. The book we are recommending is... <laughs> okay, so the book that this actually seemed to be like which is none of those books that I listed, but the book that seems related is Northanger Abbey by Jane Austen. Um, so if you want to bring up the lit credit work for it, it's like intertextuality. Is that all? Michelle is just like, whatever. <laughs> I'm just giving you okay, great. good things to do in your English class to talk about. I don't know. So the, um, this is the book that it really seems close to. Northanger Abbey is about... Um, a young girl who is naive at the beginning, she's read a lot of gothic novels. So, like, gothic romances and stuff. Um, and she considers herself, she wants to be, like, the heroine of her own life. Which is... Don't we all? If you find yourself being the villain of your own life, maybe you should change. Yeah, you might have to reconsider. But, um, so she wants to, like, she has this, she's read all these gothic novels, she has this, like, desire for adventure. Imagine the same as Kate wants to go to India. She doesn't want to go to India, but um, she ends up being invited to these people's country house. Also by Henry. Ooh, wow. Mm. This is the same book. This is more thing around knockoffs. <laughs> or to be more kinder, we would say there is a lot of intertextuality going on. Intertextual <laughs> connections between this book and Northanger Abbey. Um, and she, so Henry and his sister, who she runs friends with, invite her to their country house. North, it's called. Northanger Abbey is the title of the book. Um, and we have the oh, love similarities here. Wow, yeah. It's like the first scandal. <laughs> I know, this is like an Italian, yeah. Strong intertextuality. 
Um, <laughs> and so they have like this father who's kind of creepy and like seems to have a temper. Their mom is dead. And they live in this like gothic abbey. So she's read a lot of novels and so she basically she gets her head turned by this and she, she starts like searching out for like what are the secrets of the house and like she gets kind of creeped out like what about ghosts. And then she starts literally to like, sounds like the same book. I know, <laughs> I know. And then she starts to wonder about like, okay, the mother, how did she die? Because she's she like she basically she hears like a story and then she just runs with it. Um and so it's about how she like it's this point about like novel reading and how you need to like temper that. Like the the effect like gothic romance or gothic novels at the time could like have on you and how you especially young women and um and so it's a story of how she like that runs like that idea like kinda of runs away with her and then she learns how to like temper that or whatever. And then there's also a love story involved. Um sounds strikingly similar. I haven't read mm-hmm. Stormhanger Abbey, but Sounds striking. <laughs> yeah, I'm mean, really like surprised they compared it to Wuthering Heights, and I'm like, this is clearly not popular. Why would you compare it to something that actually makes sense if it's not popular? Right. And people will read it. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. You done? So, yeah. So that's our recommendation, and now we're going to read it. And we're going to read it on a <laughs> scale of Bad Mothers, because that's what yeah. really this book is about. <laughs> yeah, this book takes an extremely dim view of. Of all women who aren't Kate, mothers, yep. there are no, like, Kate doesn't really have, she doesn't have any female friendships. female friendships. Her only friend is Henry. She used to be friends with Sylvia, but now Sylvia's too focused on marriage and is friends with Juliet. Yeah. And we did mention there's a one star, maybe it's two stars actually. I don't know. Okay, so go on Goodreads, find the only review that is, <laughs> you'll find it. You'll know it when you see it. The girl we talked about who counted up the, like, insert of the bird in the cage. Yeah. Okay. She really has a, a takedown of this book. So if you want to learn more about other things we didn't even mention, but that she has also picked up on, yeah, she'll sign this book as well. It's a good read. A <laughs> review. Okay. Let's see. So we're reading this book on a scale from Mary Ann Cotton, who you might not know, especially if you live in the U.S., but she's very kind of infamous in the U.K. We um, think. We, we according to, to today. According to this website, that's what I've been told. <laughs> and she killed 11 of her 13 children, all four of her husbands, and four other people. So that's a body count of 21 before she was captured. Um, so that's Mary Ann Cotton on a scale of Mary Ann Cotton to Medea. Who, if you don't know that story, is uh, it's a Greek myth in which this mother killed all of her children, um, pretty much to prevent her husband from taking them. Um, yep. So on a scale from Marion Cotton to Medea, we're reading this book. A. What did we say? Do we say Catherine Ravenichi? Yep. Catherine Ravenichi, who didn't kill her kids, but was extremely was like you know served as a regent. She manipulated all of them. Extremely manipulated. May or may not have caused, planned, implemented the same Bartholomew as they massacred. Might have killed some of her kids' spouses. There's speculation. But anyway, she just wanted power and she used her kids to get them. Just like these moms. That's all we have for this book. I'm surprised you got me and Cotton at the bottom of that scale. She kills 21 people. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway. She's the bottom of that scale. I know, I'm so surprised. Like the worst. 
And the DM's the fat girl. Oh. oh, is it? I don't know. Maybe we screwed it up last time. Whatever. Anyway, Marianne Conquest. Whatever. Medea's the best. Um, because Medea has really sympathetic reasons. We studied her in one of my only English class. We studied that. And good thing we have to use that. Very sympathetic. <laughs> <laughs> um, so long. Podcast we've ever done. Fine. Congratulations. Congrats. We had really good topics of conversation. The ratio of content to length is definitely better in this one, I think. Yeah, we'll see when we listen back. Um, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, recommendations, sound, especially having to do with how to edit these sound so they sound better. Um, but you have to know what you're talking about. You can't, if you just email them and be like, he sounds really bad. <laughs> we know. <laughs> we listen to all of these before. Paige listens to them multiple times. I only normally listen to them once. But, um, cause Paige does the audio editing. Mm-hmm. Uh, bless her heart. Bless my heart. Please go ahead and send us an email at smartgirlsyastacks at gmail.com um, and follow us on all of our social media sites. We have an Instagram, a Goodreads account. Yeah. And, and a Twitter. A Twitter. Yeah. Okay, we will okay. talk to you all next time. And I promise it's going to be shorter because for the next book we have barely any notes. It's going to be real short. Yeah, I don't, we picked this book solely based on the cover. No, it's not solely, but the cover is beautiful. I didn't know what the book was about at all. I know you didn't, but I did. Anyway, we picked up the Barnes Noble and we're like, yeah. I already mm-hmm. had it on home, though. I already picked up the Barnes Noble. What the heck? I told you that, Michelle. It wasn't a secret. Mm-hmm. Anyway, bye guys! <laughs> <laughs>